but I, I started our time off this morning before our call to worship saying uh, that we have a lot to celebrate today. And we are going to continue uh, celebrating by pressing into God's word. But also we're going to take just a moment uh, to celebrate, uh, man, that God uh, has graced us uh, with uh, the jam missionaries from Brenham Next. So we are glad uh, to have them with us this morning. Uh, if you don't know, uh, jam is a summer program uh, that, that, man, has happened for as long as I can remember. Uh, and uh, it is a time where, uh, man, these missionaries, uh, they get to pour into the lives uh, of the students in our town, in Brenham. And, and so, man, they give up their time, they give their energy, and they have to have a lot of energy. Uh, I get to go be with them this week and do their uh, their uh, teach their Bible time. And so, uh, man, we are glad to have them uh, to walk with them. And so, hey, uh, man, you know, this summer, uh, there's going to be opportunities to uh, man, just have them around and, and, uh, just let them experience the life of our church and be a part of our church family. And so, uh, part of that might be like, Hey, like let's sit together and share a meal with them because they probably like to eat and, uh, need to eat. And so, uh, but with that, man, I want y'all just to stand, uh, just uh, for a moment. I know I don't want this to be awkward, but I'm going to have you stand up and man, I'm just going to pray over these guys. Uh, and so I, I want to encourage you as you look at their faces, maybe, you know, some of them, uh, I look, uh, one of the kids walked in today. I was like, Hey, I know you. You were like little last time I saw you. Uh, but now you're a grown man. Uh, and so, uh, but man, um, man, let's be praying for them. Let's look for ways to encourage and serve them. Uh, but let me pray for these guys. Jesus, we are grateful that your kingdom is here and now. And God, that we get to be a part of that. And Lord, I pray for these missionaries uh, that have given up their summer, um, uh, so that they might uh, be used by you and pour into the lives uh, of, uh, man, uh, kids that uh, maybe need hope, maybe need joy, maybe need encouragement, uh, or uh, just someone to laugh with them and uh, to spend time around. And so, God, I pray that you would equip them and continue to give them grace and energy, uh, continue to, uh, man, just place on their heart a deep love for those that you have entrusted them with, uh, that they might proclaim the good news of the gospel to them and that lives might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so with that, let's go ahead and we are going to open our Bibles. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it to two places. That doesn't commonly happen when I preach, but today, uh, because of the series we're in, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, don't be nervous. Uh, but Ecclesiastes 4 in Proverbs 27 is where we're going to kind of sit today. Uh, as we look and continue uh, with this brief series, just a three-week series regarding friendship. And so today, what we're going to be doing, kind of the whole goal or push of this series is to look at uh, at the woes and the whys of friendship or lack thereof. Because as we journey through life and all of us know that, that, that man, friendship is something that's a label, it's a buzzword, it's something that it might be talked about or longed for and we might know that we need it, but a lot of times we don't know how to experience it well. And I, I, what I want to do to kind of set the stage and really uh, move us into our time today is remind us that when we think about what it means to be a friend to others or to really allow others to be a friend to you. And, and next week, we're really going to jump into what that means. We're, we're going to jump into to the reality that friendship is a two way street. And oftentimes it looks very one way, right? 
Sometimes because uh, it's one way because, man, we're just seeking uh, the other person and we don't care to uh, invest in their life as a friend. But other times, others are seeking to be our friend and we just kind of hold them at arm's length and we're like, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't need any more friends, right? I've already got a best friend. It's my wife. Um, and, uh, and so we, that we create that struggle when in reality, and I believe that the Bible speaks that, that the, the good news would call us to a friendship that is two ways. It is a, uh, a friendship of giving and receiving, right? And so while we realize and while we think about friendship as something that we desire and long for emotionally, man, I believe, and I stated this to kick off our time, it's something that we don't give a lot of thought to. Right? I could ask you, hey, do you have friends? And you could probably, like the kid, you kids, you could probably be like, yeah, so-and-so. Like, right? Like, they're invited to my birthday party. Uh, and, uh, and we could easily talk about it because we don't really give a whole lot of thought to it. We know we need friends. Maybe we long for and desire friends. Maybe we realize that, man, friendship is frustrating. But we don't really sit down and really press into what does it mean to be friended and what does it mean to be a friend? Which is why as believers, if we look at how we do friendship, if we just look at the church and look at, man, how does the church do friendship? Not how is the church supposed to do friendship. Oftentimes, what we're going to find is that we do it poorly. Because while we, um, while redeemed by the grace of Jesus, man, I believe, I would argue that our friend relationships are still led and handled for the most part in the same manner that the broken world around us handles them. We, we, man, when you begin to follow Jesus, what we, we would probably nod our heads and say is that, yeah, it changes every part of my life, but oftentimes we still do friendship the way the world does friendship. In the same way, we often, like when you begin to follow Jesus, there's a realization of, oh, the way I use my finances is supposed to change. The way I spend my time is supposed to change, right? The things that I value are going to have to change, and friendship is the same way. You see, friendship, much of the time, if we're honest, lives on the surface of our relationships as a label, but it carries no real depth that would sustain it in meaningful and lasting ways. And I think we would all, if we were to sit down and talk about friendship and just began to discuss friendship, we would all say, yeah, man, I think uh, I have a few deep relationships, but man, many of mine are just surface level. They're not lasting. They're not meaningful. Uh, they would probably be better defined as acquaintances. And what I think we need to understand, and really I think our culture has kind of presented this and really pushes this, because we are, whether we like it or not, a social media culture, are we not? Every Sunday morning I get a, a, a status report on how much I've been on my phone, how much screen time I've used, And I think in that, when we think about friendship, we oftentimes, man, we go after friend requests, follows, and likes, which may be ego-boosting and feel good, but what we have to see is that they don't last. We just need the next hit, right? I need the next picture to go up on social media. We have to finish another house project so I can show everyone all of our house projects. My kid needs to do something amazing so I can get my friends to like what's going on in my life. But those things don't sustain. They don't fulfill our need for deep 
relationships as a human, but even more so as a follower of Jesus. We were meant for more. Think along with this, man, all the social media influencers that you follow. Maybe you hang on every word or every piece of advice that they give while they might be encouraging and even helpful at times. They don't know you. And if pressed to be honest, they probably don't. They probably care more for your clicks, likes and shares than they actually do you. They might not say that. But they don't know you. They just want your like. And so in light of this reality, in light of our struggle as believers to pursue and sustain meaningful friendships, man, we're going to just delve in today and next week to see and continue to see what does the gospel have to say? You see, because, man, I believe the gospel has so much to say about friendship. And it is the good news that through Christ, not only is our vertical relationship made new, but our horizontal relationships are to be made new. The gospel is to change everything about our lives, including how we go about friendship. I mean, I believe that the world around us should look to the church. They should be looking at the church and they should have to ask themselves, why do they, they do friendships the way they do friendships? What is different about their friendships? And there's something different because, man, when they get upset with each other, they don't leave. They press in. They talk about doing this thing about washing each other's feet and serving. It sounds really weird, but man, they really love each other, right? They should be asking those kind of questions. But the question is, is the world around us asking that question? If not, then why and what needs to change? Last week, we jumped into the beginnings of that change. See, I believe that it begins for the church with growth in the understanding that are all who were in Christ, Jesus says in John 15, are no longer servants. But what? He says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. You see, we have to start there. You have to start. And not only do we start there, we continue there. It's not like you move beyond that. Like, okay, Jesus, I know you're my friend now. No, it's like every day I need to realize that I am a friend of God because of the person and work of Jesus. I once was an enemy, but now he calls me a friend. I once was an orphan, but now I am adopted into the kingdom. And because of that, as friends, we are to now befriend one another. You see, that's different than the culture. The culture seeks to be served by others, while Jesus calls us to be real friends that look to serve one another willingly, rather than seeking to first be served. You see, this is friendship that finds its foundation in Christ, not in what we must do or what we must make ourselves out to be. It's friendship that's marked by sacrifice. It's friendship, and this is where we're really going to sit today, that lowers our guard and allows others to come in. You find yourself in relationships always having your guard up. Never being able to really be you. Always fearing that if I share something, what's going to happen? When am I going to get hurt? When am I going to get burned? Maybe the guard is so high, you're like, yeah, I never share anything. They can share with me. But they're never going to know what's going on in here. That's one-way friendship. I think oftentimes that one-way friendship, what it reveals is it reveals that we're probably doing the same thing to God. 
God, I'll let you in in terms of a label, but I, man, I, I'm not really going to give you my life and heart because, man, what? I've been hurt. You see, this friendship loves others, even those who are hard to love, because I shared this last week, you are hard to love, and yet God did not think twice about loving you. You see, for the follower of Jesus, this should change how we view and pursue friendships. Which leads us to change number two, which I've already talked about a bit, is, is that if, man, if we are going to be uh, the church, if we are going to be friends as a display people to the world around us, because again, as the church, it's not a building, it's us. We have to grow in what it actually means to let our guards down, to let other people in, to be a friend and to be friended. See, I believe when talking about friendship, one of the first major obstacles that has to be dealt with after dealing with our unbelief that through Christ we are loved and called friends is that our natural posture towards others is guarded and doubting. We go into relationships, we go into meeting someone new with fake smiles, superficial intentions, a posturing of trying to look a certain way and, and, and do certain things so that we might be accepted. We go in with the posture of questioning every action that the other person does, saying, hey, are they going to be a real friend? They better prove themselves to me. Because, man, we've all been burned before as a friend. I shared last week one of the struggles to friendship is because friendship is what? It's frustrating. Because we are all broken. Not only have we been burned by others, but guess what? We have all burned others. We have all at time not been a good friend. So we struggle to want to allow others in. But maybe for you, maybe today you long for friendship. But when you enter into a relationship that could or should turn into one, because your identity is not resting in the good news that Jesus calls you friend. You mean, really, you're slow to open up and be the real you out of fear of being rejected. Now, I will say that, that we should be wise and prudent when it comes to who we give ourselves to fully. Like, when you meet someone, you shouldn't just share everything about you, right? There are certain things only my wife, like I, that I only share with her because she is my closest friend. And so I'm not just saying, hey, just go open yourself and just like, hey, I'll tell anyone anything, anytime. Be wise and prudent. But oftentimes, man, we are so quick to move to distrust when the threat of friendship, I mean, when the opportunity for friendship is on the table. And man, when you do this, much of the time, while you may believe you're protecting yourself from hurt, you're only really hurting yourself. And oftentimes you're hurting others. Maybe you've experienced this of just having your guard up. I remember when I first, uh, before I'd moved to Brenham, Haley and I had started dating. And uh, I uh, spent the, my, that, that first Christmas in December with her family for a week. Uh, and so I got there and I remember, um, man, I met Colin, who's now my brother-in-law and man, you know, talking to Colin, I told him before I was going to talk about this like two minutes before we started, uh, maybe five minutes. Uh, 
But, uh, man, you know, and so I met Colin and man, me and Colin, like now, like I probably don't say this enough, but I consider Colin one of my best friends. Like he is one of my dearest friends. Like if you're around me and Colin, we're just going to be silly, right? Like we're, we're going to like, our wives are always like, man, God, y'all are weird. You know, like, cause we're just constantly joking and laughing and man, we have the same interests and the same sense of humor and man, we can share hard things with one another. But in the beginning, it wasn't like that. Probably more so on my side. And what Colin told me after a few months in, I don't know if Haley and I were engaged or even married, but he said, yeah, when I first, when we first started hanging out, I was like, does Kyle like me? Does he consider me a friend, right? And, and I heard that and I was like, yeah, I could probably see that. And it wasn't on Colin. It wasn't like, he, I was just like, I don't know about that guy. It was more so for me. My view of the situation was I'm new to this family and they're a lot. (laughs) Haley experienced my a lot, so it's okay. So I'm going to take it slow and hold my cards close. Unless we're playing family game night and then I'm going to just try to seek to destroy everyone. And really be myself. You see, it took me a while to let my guard down. And while some of that at times, like in letting our, like that can be a healthy thing. Man, I was probably cold towards Colin. Whereas now I'm not. You see, if we're going to grow into what we're called to be as the church, as and uh, to be good neighbors to Brennan, which is our mission statement, right? We want to be good neighbors that display the good news of Jesus. Neat thing that happened this week is as I studied the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the word for friend and neighbor are the same word. So if we are going to be good neighbors to Brennan, we have to learn what it means to be a good friend. We're going to have to take our definition of neighbor, which is often shut my garage door, be behind my privacy fence. And we're going to have to break those things down and say, oh, I need to begin by talking about what does it mean to be a friend? And in light of being a friend, man, what does a friend do? And a friend engages. But if we're going to learn to be good neighbors to Brenham who are good friends, we have to learn and grow in what it means to let our guards down. I mean, practically, how do we do that? Like, how do we do that? Even even for the kids in the room today, like, how do we do that from a young age? How do we even teach our children what it means to, hey, this is what it means to be a friend? You know, in, in our lives, like with our kids, there's many times when we're talking to them, we're saying, hey, you know, you know, so-and-so did this to me today. Okay, but how are we to respond? We're trying to teach them, hey, this is what it means to respond even when we get hurt and disappointed. This is how we respond as a friend. And so four things to how I believe we can respond to this and grow in this is first, man, we have to refocus. And what I mean by refocus, it's not on give me the list of 15 things and 15 ways I can smile that's more authentic and laugh that doesn't sound fake and, you know, let my guard down and share, you know, ask. No, we need to refocus on the good news of Jesus. It goes back to what we looked at last week. Like we constantly need to be refocused upon the gospel and realize the great need that we have. How just how broken we were and how broken we are apart from God's grace. And yet he looks at us and he says, no, you're a friend. I don't call you servant. I'll call you friend if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have life in him. Today, if you don't, then I invite you to come in and, 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 and begin to experience what that's like. To know what it means to live in and live out the reality of the gospel. 
But secondly, I think the second how or the second way is that, man, we have to, and I don't want this to sound just blank, we're going to have to probably repent. We're going to have to spend some time repenting of our tendency to be cold, rude, and guarded towards others in unhealthy ways, rather than gracious, engaging, kind, and curious. You see, if your first response to a new relationship is distrust, gossip, and fake smiles, it likely reveals that the issue lies more with you and your identity than it does with the other person. And guess what? Others see it. We think we hide it, but you don't hide your guard being up, right? You do it through, again, fake smiles. You can be passive-aggressive. You can make light. You can poke fun at the other person. Not all the time. But I believe that, man, we have made distrust and gossip towards others more normative than trust in the gospel and what it means for how we are to engage and love others. The third way is that we need to grow. We need to grow into seeking to have the heart of Jesus towards others, which calls us to love one another through sacrificial service, not by what we can get from them. As well as growth in a renewed self, growth in our identity. That is consistently laying our wounded spirit before the cross where we find healing, rest, and true identity that produces a freedom. You see, when you understand who you are, man, it produces a freedom in Christ to actually go out and say, oh, I can be a friend because I understand who I am. You can be the real you in relationship with others. And then lastly, we have to be willing to pursue others even if that means getting rejected, hurt, and let down, because as followers of Jesus, we don't have to fear rejection. You don't have to fear hurt and being let down, even if you experience, because it's not ultimate. Because while it may hurt, we trust and believe the reality that Christ has experienced the fullness of our rejection. He has experienced the fullness of our hurt. And let down upon the cross, He died and yet... He rose in victory. Therefore, we are freed up to let our guard down and pursue being a friend and being befriending others. Remember, as I shared last week, we not only long for this, but we need this. For we are made and sustained through friendship. First in Christ and then with others. Theologian and pastor J.C. Ryle once said that the world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. And you experience that? And the world's full of sorrow. You you can just walk outside and realize, yeah, it's broken. It's a dark place, he says. It is a lonely and disappointing place. But then he says this, the brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. And the beauty of friendship he shares is that it halves our sorrows and doubles our joys. Now let me share quickly what having our sorrows And doubling our joys means because while this might be the longest introduction to our text that I've ever done, it is key when it comes to understanding uh, of the woes of not having friends and the whys behind our need for them. So what does Ryle mean when he says it halves our sorrows? So it cuts them in half. You see, good friends cut our sorrows in half. And they do it in two primary ways. They do it with their presence and they do it with their words. So they do it with their presence. A good friend is present 
In the midst of sorrow and grief, I believe one of the greatest things we can do to be a good friend to others is just show up. That's something we tell people that are walking through grief or ask, hey, how can I help someone that walks through grief? We just simply tell them, based on experience, just show up. Just be there. Don't feel like you have to prepare a meal. If you're going to bring something, just bring Kleenexes. And just be there. Opportunities to serve will likely arise, but what will really be remembered long term is you just being there. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You're just there. So I have uh, another best friend, my former best friend, before I married my wife, and she became my best friend. And his name is Fatty. His name is Brandon. But when we were kids, like that was the nickname he had. And that's what I called him because uh, he had a big head. And so and so that but everyone knows, like my kids call him Uncle Fatty. Like that's his name. And I remember like, man, we have we, we share the same birthday. He's two years older than me. But we share the same birthday. But man, we have been through so much together. But I remember um, that he and I. Or he, he lived with me when my... Somebody have a car alarm? Uh, everybody's like checking it. Um, so my mother uh, passed away in 2010. And he was uh, my roommate at the time. What color is it? There it goes. Boom. <laughs> so let's rewind. I had a friend named Fatty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> visitors and missionaries that are here today they're like oh my gosh what is this guy talking about um this is the usual <laughs> but uh in 2010 my mom passed away and uh i was a student pastor at the time and man all my students wrote me cards one day and i went to my office and i showed up and there was a whole bucket full of cards and so we grabbed them and and my buddy Brandon was going to take me back to our house. And man, as he was driving, I just started reading the cards. And man, I just broke down. I broke down just sobbing in tears. And I think the thing, like as I recall that, as I thought about that, the thing that stuck with me more is that when I broke down, Brandon didn't take the letters away from me. He didn't try to change the subject or turn the radio on. He didn't tell me just to have the joy of the Lord. Now, what he did was he actually put his car in park at a stop sign in the middle of Waco. And he just sat with me while I poured my heart out in grief. He halved my sorrows by just being present. You see, being present is one of the main ways we can bear one another. We bear with one another as friends. We don't just do it with our presence, we do it with our words. Proverbs 12.25 says that anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You see, a central purpose of friendship is that we would minister to one another through words of encouragement that make the soul glad. But soul glad is different than just being flattered. A good friend doesn't just flatter you. 
Your soul needs to be made glad with the encouragement of the good news of Jesus. You see, what encouragement really is, is hopeful truth, even if it's hard truth. You ever been encouraged by a hard truth? Maybe not in the moment, but later you're like, oh man, I'm so glad that my friend would say that to me. I'm so glad that they would be willing to call me out in that way and say, hey, you're missing it. You're out of step. See, we're called to be soul glad, not our ego to be built up. You see, hopeful truth and encouragement brings is words of comfort, joy, and rest. It's the encouraging reminder of one's identity in Christ when we struggle to believe it. You ever struggle to believe who you are in Jesus? You have those moments where your friend comes and says, hey, that's not who you are. Remember who you are. Remember what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to live that way. Those are lies you're believing. You need it from others and others need it from you. But people don't need your advice or your opinions. They need the encouragement from us that is based upon the never changing truths of the gospel. Which leads me to the second point is that it doubles our joys. You see, good friends make life better because they fill us with joy, do they not? And when you think about your life, I would argue that all the moments of nostalgia you have that you wish you could relive always involve the experience of friends. So for me, this uh, last week, um, we made ogle pickles. Um, And uh, I love making ogle pickles. Uh, It's my grandmother's recipe. And... Man, for me, when I make them, I feel nostalgic. I'm reminded. I go back to, man, watching my grandmother make them. But yesterday, my wife opened the jar so we could taste test them. And man, as soon as I bit into it, it was like I was there. And I remembered it. I mean, we all have those moments, right? Those things where you're just like, yeah, when that happens, I remember that moment. We're brought back. And it's always like, man, it was friendship. Not only that, but when I make pickles, I get to see the joy on others' faces when they experience my grandmother's pickles. Yeah, Kenneth's like, yeah, made a bunch for him this week. You see, when we share in our joys with others, joy is literally multiplied. Because they get to share in it with us. This is why you need to share, and it is why, that's why we share what we're excited about. Because we want others to share in our joy. And so we have to learn to let our guards down and let others in. Because when we do not, we become burdened by our sorrows and isolation. And our joy is not made full because you have no one to share it with. We need deep gospel friendships. Because they help us to be sustained and they help us to really celebrate the full reality of who God is and what he has done. But if you're still struggling to believe this is needed, um... Let's look at Ecclesiastes 4. Because the reality is, is you could sit here today, you could leave here today, and you could leave your guard up, and you could say, I don't need friends. I, I, I'm going to reject that. I'm not going to let anyone in. But in Ecclesiastes 4, we find the unfruitful alternative of a lack of friendships, followed by another argument from God's Word for why we need friends. So let's look, beginning in verse 9. 
Ecclesiastes 4, regarding the foolishness of friendlessness, says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Okay, so Solomon in his wisdom looks at the reality of relationships and life and he makes the statement that friendship brings with it good return. He says all who experience it as the grace that it is. For, for all those who experience it as the grace that it is, while those who don't, he says, you are to suffer the woes of life alone. Solomon says two are better than one because they have a better return for their toil. Man, I love like when I, I love working alongside people because we can get a lot more done, right? We get so much more done. So much quicker too, right? <laughs> like it would take me all day. It only took half a day. But not only are you getting so much done, you're experiencing life together. You're growing in friendship. You're having conversations. You're sharing struggles and victories and excitement. We produce more fruit when we work together. Not only that, Solomon says when one fails, it is good to have another there to pick them up. It is good to have a friend to pick you up when you fail and you fall. Both in work and in life. But woe to him, Solomon says, who does not have a friend with them when they fall, for they will not have another to help them up. While two can keep warm together, one cannot keep warm alone. And while you might, he says, he says, while you might prevail against one, two will stand and overtake him. But the person with friends will not easily be broken. You see, what we find here in Ecclesiastes is reality that is foolish and destructive to lack friends and to be a friend. Isolation and friendlessness, I would argue and believe Scripture would back up, always leads to destruction. An unbelief in the need for friendship is rooted in pride that you can do all that you need to do and you can find all the fulfillment you desire and long for in and of yourself. That is foolish, dangerous, and destructive. That goes all the way back to the fall. You don't need God. God's withholding something from you. You can find fulfillment in you. It didn't work. You see, the reality is, is that you need friends to help save you from you. Not save you ultimately. That's only done in Jesus. But man, do we not get in our own way? Yes. We've said it so many times. No one lies to you more than you do because no one talks to you more than you do. And you need others to come and say, hey, stop lying to yourself. Friends, good friends, not only have our sorrows and double our joys, they go to war with you in the midst of the battles of life while also keeping you humble and grounded so you don't begin to believe you can do in your own strength and for your own glory. You see, God gives us both His Spirit and good friends to help keep us humble and grounded in the Gospel. You need people 
that are willing to love you enough to tell you when you're missing it. Who are also the same people who will encourage you when you don't feel as if you're worth anything at all. We need these people. Which leads me to my final argument for why we need friends, which is that true friends give you true counsel that's from the heart. And as we hear that, if we're honest, our flesh does not like that. Because it boasts in self and is prideful, but our spirits, by the grace of God, need this and long for it. For by it, we grow in grace and truth and we're transformed more into the image of Jesus. Therefore, we are to process and pursue these types of relationships, which means, and I'm going to encourage you that that this week, that you need to look at the relationships you currently have and you need to ask yourself two questions. How can I seek to be better friends to the friends I have around me through being present and encouraging? And how can I seek to pursue the deepening of relationships with those who are truly pursuing to be present and encouraging to me in word and deed? Now, I know we, we, you have limited capacity for that. We can, man, we can... Deep, deep friendships, like the, the group gets smaller and smaller. But man, we need to pursue those relationships. But quickly in closing, let me just share two more beneficial areas of friendship that come from Proverbs 27. These two areas of friendship really point to this, they counsel you from the heart. And they're found, these two areas, first is the giving and taking of device. It's a two-way street. And it's the love they have for one another. So let's look at Proverbs 27. In closing, we're going to look at verses, first we're going to look at verses 5 and 6, and then 17. As I was studying Proverbs, the guy, one of the commentaries I was looking at, the way he broke down Proverbs was he broke it down into categories. Because if you read Proverbs, it seems like it like jumps around, right? It's like one word of wisdom and then something totally different. You're like, how did, what's going on? But he says this about the giving and taking of advice. He says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Okay, so what we find in these three verses is that it is better to, he says first, it's better to receive an open rebuke from a friend that is given in love than to hide away our love by never sharing things that would grow our friend more into the image of Jesus. You see, it's not loving to share with others it's 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 not loving not to share with others if there's an area where like, hey, man, I see you missing in this thing consistently. And man, God wants you to grow in this area. So often we're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Maybe partially because we're like, I don't want them to tell me what's going on with me, right? <laughs> it's just going to open up the can of worms. But man, true friends, like we should be able, we need to grow. I don't think we do a great job at it. But we need to grow in the reality of just being like, hey, and I see this. And then we would honestly assess because usually they're right.
on that note. If you're going to do that, you need to do it by the prompting of the Spirit, not your flesh's need to be to constantly critique. Okay, difference. All right, one's grace, one's your flesh. One's the fruit of the Spirit, one's the works of the flesh. You see, the truth is, is that I can receive more in humility while it not may not be easy from a friend whom I know and love, whom I know loves and cares for me than just a random person. You see, my wife Haley can say hard things to me that I will accept that if you said I might want to fight or reject, it doesn't mean that you would be wrong. But there's a different level of friendship there. I think to this point, one thing in all this we have to ask ourselves is in terms of verse 17, it says, look, iron sharpens iron. Just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You see, you can do one of two things there. Either you can be, as I heard one writer say, you can be a sponge that never hurts anyone but never does any real good. Or you can be a knife that always just cuts to the quick and destroys But that's not what verse 17 is saying. Verse 17 is saying that we are to be a stone that sharpens and is sharpened, right? Like we are to sharpen one another. Verse 17 calls us to be a friend upon which others can strike against and be sharpened while in the same manner also sharpening us. Faithful friends, as one writer states, make better sharpening stones than unhelpful sponges and destructive swords. Which leads me to my last point, which is that fruitful friendship leads again to love for one another. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor friend who is near than a brother who is far away. You see, here we see that friendship is to be fought for and is beneficial because faithful friends help each other by making the heart glad through the giving of earnest counsel. You see why why he uses the term oil and perfume while they are beneficial to cover up our mess and our stench. They only go so far. We need friends that we can go to and share the depths of our brokenness with and in turn receive grace, encouragement, and faithful gospel-centered wisdom because they care more about pointing us to Jesus than they do about being liked and accepted by us. True friends can share and say easy and hard things to one another because they have a depth of love that goes beyond the surface level happiness and understands the depths of joy that are only found in being a friend of God through Christ. And so my question for you today is who are those friends? And do they know that they're those friends? Or is it a one-way street? Not only that, but how can we begin to grow and foster those types of friendships in our life and in the life of our church? And it begins first by understanding what Jesus means when He says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. But next, 
It's that, man, we would begin day by day and by God's grace, letting our guard down and letting other people into our lives. You see, through the gospel, we are not only drawn into a new relationship with God, we are immediately drawn into God's family, which means that we are going to have to learn how to live differently in terms of what it means to be a friend. And so I'm going to have Evan come back up and we're going to just spend some time in response and in the sharing of communion. But man, I want you to begin, uh, man, maybe just close your eyes, maybe just focus in, just ask God's spirit uh, to begin, uh, man, to move in your heart and begin to just ask yourself, man, about, man, your friendships or lack thereof. Maybe today you're met with the reality that, man, I'm walking in isolation and destruction because I have shut everyone off. I am guarded against any type of friend. Maybe today you're just realizing more and more, man, I'm not a very good friend. I'm a good friend when they say easy things to me, but as soon as they say something hard to me, oh, I'm going to reject it. I'm going to seek to destroy Maybe today you need to refocus on the good news of Jesus. Maybe today you need to repent of your tendency to be cold, rude, or whatever it is. Maybe today it's saying, God, help me to grow in what it means to be a friend and to allow others in. Maybe it's asking the Spirit to empower you to pursue. Even Maybe it's laying your hurts down today. Saying, man, I've been hurt. We all have. Playing those things before Jesus. Said, Jesus, I need you to take those so that I can go. And, and, and in security of my identity in you, be who you've called me to be. This is what we're called to as the church. And if we are going to be good neighbors to Brenham, we've got to learn what it means to be a good friend. And so I want you to spend some time reflecting on that. And then, man, when you're ready, if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, I mean, if you have given your life to Jesus, if God, by His grace, has transformed your life, man, I want to invite you to come and share in communion today. We've got communion on either side. There's two avenues you can do that. Um, there are individual prepackaged cups, and then we have some bread. You can grab a piece and just dip it in the cup and take it back to your seat. Uh, but, man, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I mean, we ask you not Uh, to come and share in this. I would love to talk to you about what that means and what it means to follow Jesus. We're not trying to shun you or reject you. We just, man, this is special because what we remember in this moment is that Jesus, uh, man, when he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends, the only way he can do that is by the giving of himself upon the cross that he showed the ultimate act of service and sacrifice. So you can come and share in communion. And then we're going to sing one more song. And then we're going to go celebrate more through baptism outside. So with that, I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, again, we are grateful for the truth of friendship that is found in your word. We're grateful that that by your grace, we are drawn into relationship with you. That that is our ultimate need. That is our ultimate longing is that we would be made right. That we who are sinners would be made right before a holy God. And it is only by your blood and sacrifice that we have any hope. 
God, in light of that redemption, God, I pray that we would really press in and begin to see where are we keeping our God up. Holy Spirit, begin to, man, remove, uh, man, those hurts, those pains, those um, wounds of our stories and begin to allow us to let our guard down first before you, God, but also before one another so that we might in deeper and greater ways befriend others and be a friend, God, that we would give of ourselves without the fear of being rejected and hurt because we can look to you and know that you have already accomplished what we could not. May we walk in that type of freedom. May we be a picture to the world around us of what it means to be good friends. That we, that, 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 that those around us would begin to ask questions. Man, I don't know what it is about that church, but, but they love one another like friends. Like, and we don't understand it. And it looks different. And it looks odd, but it's good. We long to see that in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Empower us to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.